We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And man, I got up early for that. I didn't get to watch a, uh, a whole bunch of it. I got stuck doing stuff at work. Yeah, I didn't get but to watch a whole bunch I of it either. I was making cocktails. Did, I did. The drives that I got to watch, I got to watch Kyrie Elam suck. That's all I got to see on Sunday. Well, gentlemen, we are uh, gentlemen, gentle ladies, for all of you out there listening and uh, all of our fans. The Buffalo Bills are firmly back in second place in the AFC East on the back of one of the more disappointing performances overseas. Like, all of these overseas games are bad. Like, is it just me or do we just, like, England is not a good place for the Buffalo Bills. No, it's not. Like, I know Terry White, Hugo, um, I know Alex, like, they went and had a great time. Look, like, like, a lot of you went and had a great time. I just think we need to stay the hell out of there. And there's one thing I kept thinking while I was watching all the festivities. You know, Jake was over there. He was sending us pictures. We were retweeting all of his stuff because him and Hugo, like, really kind of put this all, like, they were making the rounds. Right? Like, they were making the rounds. And all the parties and the festivities and the Bills Bills Mafia is taking over England. I stopped. In fact, I was explaining this to someone during the game that I stopped traveling for Bills games years ago. I don't do it. Mostly because when I did it during the drought era, 
it was always like a three to five hour car ride back in awkward hungover silence with everyone just kind of seething. And it was like, I didn't have a podcast, so I couldn't yell about it. And instead it was just me waterboarding the people in the car till they all told me to shut up. And then we just rode in silence. A lot of farting. Cause you know, that's, that's what happens when you mix bad football and poor food choices and a lot of alcohol. Chris, it sounds like a death trap, doesn't it? Yeah. Five hours in a car with a bunch of dudes just ripping ass and angry. Yeah, not a fan. <laughs> no one should be, which is why I stopped traveling for Bills games. And I said that at the onset of this game. I go, I don't go anywhere because I just feel like I'm going to be disappointed. How miserable would you have been on the flight home? Very miserable. I would have... It would have been like a plane ride from hell. I don't know if you remember that from uh, early 2000s WWE. Kurt Henning, <laughs> Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect tackled uh, they got Brock, Brock Lesnar on a flight and almost uh, busted open the door in flight. <laughs> it was that bad. People got that wasted. There is a... There's a there's a there's, whole dark side of the ring documentary yes, about the I've watched from that. Hell. Yeah, I've watched that. You should I watch too. it too. It's it's uh yeah, it's it's telling. For me, I just might not have come home. I might have been like, you know what? I'm over here. This accent isn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. I mean the food is still bad. <laughs> Guys, you're eating beans on toast. Like Z- Z- Zach Vaughn. From Bill, from Buffalo Fanatics, like he did a. There was a video of him. They're like, "Oh my God, it's his first time trying it." And they're trying to, and he just took a bite. He goes, "What am I supposed to say? It's beans and a piece of toast." <laughs> to treat it like it's a regional delicacy. Now, don't don't get me wrong. There are some pieces of English cuisine that I'm pretty, like I like the idea of the um, toad in a hole, for instance. I've seen you know the onion petals. Like a cream sauce with sausage with a within a pastry dish. I've seen it made with tomatoes. Like that looks interesting to me. I would get into that. Chris, you know the Parker's store closure. Oh we, yeah, we, yeah. We inherited a lot of British food. Yeah, there's still some in the deep freezer over there. Now, how did you? What, what did you think about the meat pies? Meat pies are pretty good. I mean, it's like I, a, it's like a, our standard chicken pot pie, but on steroids, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm more upset that that stuff is uh, taking precedent in the freezer over my ice. I mean, if you that ever want cocktail wanna, ice, if you ever want to offload it, I know a fat prick will eat all that stuff. <laughs> With that being said, there's an awful lot to not like about the idea of flying that far and having to be subjected to all of that just to watch that football game. And I'm not going to bore you with this because I I am. Well, I, I, I'll tell you what. This might be. In fact, before it, it was Sunday and I messaged Bruce Nolan and told him, I'm, I'm stealing a page out of your playbook this week. It's probably going to go terribly. But here's my premise. He said it was priceless. He was encouraging about it. Mostly because I think he wants. I think he's a lot like Chris D'Elia, where he's like, I like it when the people I know fail. Because it gives me room to rise. <laughs> you know, not with the other Crystalia stuff. I, yeah. I, I don't know that much about his life. <laughs> but with that in mind, 
I bring you kind of what is a psychological look at our at the Week Five Jaguars game. Jaguars twenty five, Buffalo Bills twenty. Your stats of the game, if we're going to do this, Trevor Lawrence. 25-37, 315 yards, one touchdown, five sacks, a 102.9 QBR, three fumbles, two of which were lost on the other side of the team, in the Bills 40, Chris. Josh Allen, 27-40, 359 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, What four, rush, four rushing attempts and a touchdown, no fumbles, one interception, a 102 QBR. So on paper, it looks like both quarterbacks played pretty well, and one of them didn't hold on to the ball very well, doesn't it? Correct. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Before we really get into the nuts and bolts of this, you can open that refrigerator. Oh, no. You can get yourself a Seagram's. Dude, I said this was going to be a trap game. Now, I'm going to put the camera back on you because this is... We got to watch you. We're going to watch you drink it. And then I'm going to tell you about my betting on Saturday, which turned out pretty awful. Three leg parlay, Oklahoma, Texas, over under 61. Over hits with 15 seconds left. Next game I had Miami of Ohio, minus nine and a half against Bowling Green. Bowling Green just beat Georgia Tech, they were plus 800. So they're going to come back down to earth, and they did. They uh, Miami of Ohio won twenty-seven to nothing. Here's where I lose my parlay on Saturday: Colorado State minus three and a half at Utah State. I couldn't find the game on TV. I heard it was on Mountain West Network. I don't know what that is. Does Utah actually need more than one college? Utah State. Yes, they do. <laughs> now here's what it is. It's the last game of my parlay and the last one of the day. It's an 8 o'clock kickoff. First quarter ends, so I get on my phone to check the score. 17-0 Colorado State. I'm like, all right, I'm on my way to $289. Let's get this done. I go to bed at 11.30 and I check the score. 44-24 Utah State. They scored 37 points in a row. Like, Colorado State gave up after the first quarter. I mean, that doesn't really constitute as a bad beat, but it's like Colorado State stopped playing football after the first quarter. Well, yeah, because nobody on the other sideline was wearing their sunglasses still. (laughs) That guy can kick rocks, and his whole team can kiss my ass. So can you. This Seagram's might have been the grossest thing I've ever had. It's the second time. There's two more. So. Oh my God. The uh, Chris, I'm gonna, I'm gonna because you're gonna get the next one. I promise you. I'll tell you this. I don't know. I'm pretty good. I've had like I thought the Calypso cooler. I think I described the Calypso cooler once as being. It's like if someone f- like like really chilled a shovel and then rubbed a coconut on it and, hit, and then hit you in the face with it. This blueberry acai lemonade might be, it's just sour. It's very pungent. And it's it so It stings incredibly, the nostrils. It does sting the nostrils, <laughs> and it's so incredibly sweet. Like it was, Chris, you've watched me power through these. Like the Jamaican Me Happies, I yeah. used to chug those things. That was wild. It, it was, I, th- I think it's the movie School for Scoundrels. 
the one with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and uh, the guy from Napoleon Dynamite? Of course you haven't seen it. Nope, don't know about it. The the guy who plays uh, Jeremy Jam in Parks and Rec is a character in that movie. And he goes, yeah, I got a swirly last night. And someone goes, what? some Asian guy goes, what's a swirly? And he goes, so when someone holds your face, <laughs> when, when someone holds you upside down, face down in a toilet and flushes it against your face, it rocks your world, but not in a good way. <laughs> I, I think that that's, this is like getting swirlied. I'm going to have to be way more careful about the bets I make because that thing is awful. I told you it was a trap game. <sighs> it was a trap drink. <sighs> Moving forward for the game. 19 penalties, 165 yards, 109 of them coming against Buffalo. The second time in a row we've played the Jaguars and been penalized over 100 yards. Buffalo, 5 of 12 on third down. Time of possession, the Bills were minus 17 minutes and 36 seconds, which was the season's highest disparity. Jacksonville ran 88 plays to Buffalo's 60. Kyrie Elam against Kelvin Ridley. Four of five for 66 yards and four first downs. Diggs and Davis, 14 and 19, 221 yards, two touchdowns, both with a catch of over 29 yards. Von Miller, 20 snaps, no stats recorded. Bills defensive ends without Rousseau or Lawson. Nine pressures, four sacks, four quarterback hits, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. Buffalo. The only team in the NFL with two defensive linemen in the top 14 for sacks. No players in the top 40 for blitz count. All right. So real quick, I just want to run down the good, the bad, and the ugly as I saw it. Chris, first of all, the good. Drew Stafford. I guess for those of you who understand, A.J. Epinesa and Leonard Floyd. Mm-hmm. Drew Stafford was the Sabres player who, in his contract year, scored 30 goals. Yes. And then talked his way into a contract and then never produced on that level again. Chris, do you know what his like next highest point season was after he scored those 30? I'm pulling it up. He had uh, 50 point. Well, he had uh, 31 goals, 21 assists. And then the following season, he had 20 goals, 30 assists, 52 points, or for 50 points. Okay. So he was still on he par. He was still on par. And then what happened after that? Uh, then he ghosted us for the next three seasons. <laughs> we traded him to Winnipeg, and then his first full season with Winnipeg, 21 goals, 17 assists. All right. So A.J. Epinesa pulled the Drew Stafford and Leonard Floyd just continues to stay hot. I mean, it's it's amazing to me. I see Chris fist pumping over here. Chris, what are you doing? You look like you're milking a cow. Uh, we are three minutes into the NHL season over here. Montreal just went up on Toronto three minutes into the game. <laughs> I, have, I, love, I, I love the pettiness. I have to have that game on a monitor in here while we do that. So... Here's what I like. When you take a look at where those two guys stand, do you know they're both in the top 14? Like, they're both in the top 14 of the NFL. Actually, no, I think Ed Oliver is 14th. 
Like if if you think about where they stand, AJ Epines is having a career year thus far. I think he's actually down in like the low teens. But AJ Epinesa is up there in terms of pressures, in terms of impact. Passes defended. Passes defended for defensive ends is not an easy thing to accomplish. And AJ Epinesa is doing it in spades. That in and of itself provides intrinsic value, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, all these tipped passes of his. He turned one of them into a pick six. This might be the best version of Epinesa, and it couldn't have come at a better time. Because you look at all the injuries we just absorbed, which we're really not going to spend a lot of time. For those of you who showed up here waiting for me to throw beers and scream about injuries. We do that on the Roundup. We're going to be talking about that in this week's AFC's Roundup podcast. And maybe not even that. What I will say is that in the face of all of these injuries, knowing that there's a depth player on your roster who you can look at, like AJ Epinesa, and go, I expected nothing from you and you're giving me better than most starters in the NFL. That's... Chris, I can't put it... I can't even try... Like, I'm trying to find the words to describe how important that is to what the Bills are going to have to do here going forward, and I'm having a really hard time doing it. Can I... Here's the question for mm-hmm. you for about Ebenezer. Uh In the terms of hockey, is the best way that I can put this together, is if you have, like, a guy on the Sabres, Casey Middlestat, who might get some run on a higher line because Jack Quinn has a torn Achilles. So while Quinn is rehabbing, Middlestat might take his spot and his point total might go up based on who he's playing with. So do you think Epineza is having this type of uh, season so far based on people that are on the line and the addition of Floyd, if it... If it makes for for him to be one-on-one or him doing things, I don't know, different than uh, he was doing last year because, like, we have Floyd in, we can have Floyd do some of those things that Epinesa can't, and we're allowing him to play within his skill set. See, it's one thing to talk about it like that and say, okay, he's just benefiting from the guys around him, but... Didn't we just have that conversation about Greg Rousseau where we were like, oh, hey, he flourished last year even though Von Miller wasn't here. He was st- he was actually playing better when Von Miller left, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I still think that, well, first of all, I think Leonard Floyd was a steal. And at this point, we have to, like, we have to admit it, right? Yeah. Like, he's 24th in the NFL in pressures. He's got five and a half sacks, which has him in the top 10 of the NFL. And he's a guy we signed in a one-year deal for $9 million. Steal. Steal. He was a th- he was like a third wave of free agency signing. <laughs> and he's in the top ten. of Chris, he's tied with Miles Garrett for sacks. He has five fewer pressures than Miles Garrett. Do you know what Miles Garrett makes? $25 million a year? You compare that to nine? I think we made it. I, I, I think that that's the... Th- 
I think that that investment has been huge, and I think Leonard Floyd has been instrumental early on this season. Von Miller not recording a statistic, but like him getting back on the field was cool. Not recording a stat? Okay. I mean, I kind of expected that. Anybody who expected him to come out and, hey, I got it, I got my mojo back. You're an old man who tore his ACL. I want them to keep him on a 20-snap pitch count. Do not let him get him acclimated. Let him get back up to speed. Don't overwork him because realistically we don't need him right now. Because you signed Leonard Floyd. Because Brandon Bean signed Leonard Floyd, we do not need Von Miller right now. You you look at what our schedule is. Even without Rousseau, you don't have to rush Rousseau back. Why? Because you have a Shaq Lawson and you have an AJ Epinesa. Remember when we talked in the offseason about who you should trade? Whether yeah. it was Epinesa or Boogie Basham? Yeah. Have you heard Boogie Basham's name nationally since then? No. I mean, he is with the Giants, who are a... I I don't have any words for how their season's been turning out. It's bad, right? It's yeah. not great. <clears throat> but with that in mind, we have A.J. Epinesa, and I'll tell you, he's, he's making the plays you would want a second-round pick who needs to be a depth player to make. Counterpoint. We also could have had Creed Humphrey. No, not that draft. That was the draft. That was the J.K. Dobbins. Well, no, I know what you're saying about Boogie Basham. <laughs> but we also could have had J.K. Dobbins. Look how that's working out. Injuries. So, with that in mind, <clears throat> I was really impressed by the job this defensive line did as a whole, even after, like after the Daquan Jones injury. Ed Oliver stepped it up. And was just a force the entire game. He was making his presence felt. And it's funny because Ed Oliver is 14th in the NFL in sacks. Okay? And then when you look at tackles for loss, do you know that he's tied for the NFL lead? That I did not know. Most people don't because they look at Ed Oliver and go, oh, he's dominating. You don't understand how much he's dominating. This defensive line, even without Daquan Jones, is going to be fine because we have... No, we will not be in that luxury bracket of people with, like, sick defensive lines. The type of... We're not going to be in the same conversation as, like, the Giants who had O.C. Uminura and Tuck and uh, Justin Tuck, O.C. Uminura, Michael Strahan. JPP with all his fingers. Yeah, like, we're never going to be in that conversation, especially not with all these injuries we're sustaining. But what we will have is a multifaceted front that can get after a quarterback, and we're still showing that, even after those players exited this football game. I think that 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 on its own should make people feel good about what came out of this game was just the fact that that's a thing. Also, if I had to give an honorable mention, Dorian Williams got some run. Now, he did get replaced. (laughs) I was listening to GR this morning. They were talking about Dorian Williams. uh, Lee Sal was. He he had a little bit of flashes, even though he got, I guess he got replaced later in the game. I don't know if that was scheme-based because of... uh, They knew that they were going to go heavy run. We'd rather have a better run defender than... Yeah, and then you put Dorian... (laughs) 
and then you put Tyrell Dodson out there in need of a better run defender. Awesome. Great move. Obviously the bad offensive sluggishness. Right? Like that's your jet lag. And I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go on a diatribe about the schedule or whatever it is. You knew what it was. The one thing I, I, I yelled at my wife once, once about anything to do with this game, and it was because she goes, "Well, you know, Eric Wood was on the radio talking about the sports science department, and they would have," and I was like, "I don't ever want to hear from Eric Wood about sports science again." And all of those nerds can stuff it, and she just bursts out laughing. And it was just like, it's not Eric Wood's fault. That this happened to the Buffalo Bills. I go, it's everybody's fault. It's everyone's fault. And I storm out of the room. You guys thought that you could come out and approach this a certain way. And we're going to talk about this and, you know, as I really get into the nuts and bolts of tonight's show. The meat and potatoes, is, if you will. But the just everybody looked like they were sleepwalking. And yet, for a team that looked like they were sleepwalking for three and a half quarters, we lost by five points. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. That brings us to the ugly, which is the injuries and the officiating. Now, obviously, the injuries aren't great. We're going to talk about that in the roundup because I don't want to take away from this podcast. Who officiated? Some asshole. I don't know. See if you can find it. In fact, I think I got I have it. it. I can look it up. It wasn't Lane Clark. Sean Smith. No, it was Sean Smith. Now, take a look here. NFLpenalties.com. Isn't he one of like the most penalty penalty heavy? We're going to look at. We're going to find out because we're going to go back and we're going to look at 2022. And he sounds say, like it sounds. He sounds like a name that at least I can remember you saying last year. In terms of penalties, that now, he's where a, is he? Sean Smith. Yeah, Sean Smith. Okay. I I think you brought him up as being penalty heavy last year. I could be wrong, but that's why they have the internet. No, so, in fact, last year he was actually light. Really? Yeah. Maybe it is Land Clark that I'm thinking Let me of. Take a look here. See now, now here it is. It's because you can break this down by team. All referee crews. So, in 2022, all referee crews, penalty count on a descending basis. He was on the low end last year. And in terms of yardage, he was probably middle of the pack. Bill Vinovich, obviously, the uh, the prototypical let him play. So it's interesting that every single time we play the Jaguars, this happens. What is it that we do one week and then we go into a game the next week and it happens to be against the Jaguars and all of a sudden everything we do is wrong? (laughs) Every facet of our game is incorrect. When you look at it through that, like, like that, that just blows my mind. I, I have a really, really, really hard time watching and it destroys a football game and it's the thing so there was a a work friend of mine from france who was at my house on sunday watching the game with me 
And I was trying to explain to him that the biggest problem isn't when penalties, you know, when an official throws too many flags. It's when they don't do it in commensurate fashion, depending on who the football team is. You know, you watch Josh Allen getting battering rammed and they're not calling it, but then you're watching them call ticky tack shit on the other, you know, on the other side. They're calling us for ticky tack penalties, but then after the play, two or three of their players are punching our players in the back of the helmet as they're trying to walk away. And there's no one sportsmanlike conduct flag. But you're going to give Jordan Poyer an unnecessary roughness flag for hitting a guy who he couldn't see didn't have the football. Like, I, just, I question where your head's at in those moments, but I realize I can't do anything about it, right? Like, I'm I'm Jim Carrey and Liar Liar in those moments. I literally have to just, like, like Chris, you remember that? You scratched my car. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. Nothing. Because if I take, like, what am I going to do? You're not going to pay for it. And then if I take a small claims court and get a judgment against you, you're not going to show up. And you're definitely not going to pay it. So all I'm going to do is bend over. I'm going to piss and moan, bend over, and take it up the tailpipe. That's that's us with the NFL officials in this game. And it was infuriating to watch. Infuriating to see. But ultimately, what are we going to do? I can't change it. Nope. And then in the second half, did you notice they started flagging the Jaguars? You know what I would still like to see is I think it was one of the touchdown drives in the second half. Back-to-back plays, we had touchdowns, but the first play was called back on a OPI call, yeah. which no one ever saw. Not to mention, I mean, it was, from, it was. From, from what I gathered watching what I could of the game, I 100% agree with Aaron Quinn on the broadcast which you had the Spanish and English going, the lack of, and this, but this is not on. Well, explain on that so people know what you're talking about. Well, it, if you were here in Buffalo, you got to watch the game on local Fox. So our local Fox network was putting out the English, the English announced team, and then underneath, at like a lower amplification, was the Spanish announced team. Cause like I'm watching that game at work and I'm walking up to the TV, and because some of the guys are like, "Is that Spanish?" and I'm like, "Putting them like that is Spanish." <laughs> They're playing the fucking Spanish announced team over the English team, and then uh, people, guys are like texting like their wives who are at home or who are watching on NFL Network, and it's not a problem. <laughs> but like Aaron Quinn had had gone on a diatribe on on Twitter of the lack of replays for penalties. And just replays in general, probably because most of them were yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't ever remember seeing that penalty. Like usually, if you have an OPI, I thought the OPI, it. like as you're talking about, it, I thought the OPI was on uh, Gabe Davis. Yeah, hilarious. I go, so he committed OPI, you then caught a touchdown pass. But Chris, to your point, I know what you're about to say. What did they do right afterwards? Score a touchdown. They went right back to Gabe Davis. They were like, "Fuck you! No, we're getting this." We know that that guy can't cover him. Fuck you, we're getting it. <laughs> yeah, so they just don't wonder if it was the same play. <sighs> and it's that kind of thing, right? Like, it's weird when you watch the team all of a sudden rear up and score 14 points in a five-minute span, and it seemingly comes out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Okay. 
This is the thought I want to leave you guys with tonight. I'm not going to try to recap what happened. Instead, what I want to talk about is what happened to me afterwards and some of the thoughts that I had through a philosophical lens. So if you're drinking, I suggest you open a fresh one, maybe grab another one, because this is about to get fucking painful. Uh, I'm going to grab this Imperial Stout that Jake gave gave us when he was here. All right, here we go. Full disclosure to all of you, I was drunk when I thought of this. I think most people in their early 20s are pretty impressionable. I mean, think about all the dumb shit societally that's taken off among people that age. The Jersey Shore blowout haircuts. Yep. Faux hawks. Yep. Unironic fedoras. I wasn't around for that. NFTs. There's dickheads out here spending thousands of dollars on NFTs. You're buying a picture that someone else can just steal from you. (laughs) Most of it's pretty stupid. And obviously, I'm not immune to that. But one of the things I got into, something that kind of changed my life, was Jungian psychology, Carl Jung, and the concept of shadow theory. And I, I kind of blame the band Tool for this, if I'm being honest, given how much their singer and songwriter Minner James Keenan was interested and influenced by it. And as 20-year-olds do when they find something cool, I just went down the rabbit hole with him. Now, real quick, because I'm not, like, like I need to set the scene. I'm drinking and I'm listening to music. And the song by Tool 46 and 2 comes on. And it gets me in a really kind of, like, I'm thinking... My wife's gone. She's taking the kids to a birthday party. It's me home alone. After that game, I've just been I've been ignoring football all afternoon, and I'm just boozing. Forty six and two comes on. It gets my, it gets the gears working. Now, I'm not a big enough dork to think that you all want a full scale psych lesson from a drunk. Here's the cliff notes on Carl Jung's shadow theory. And why I think it applies. Well, I just want to lay the groundwork for this. For the sake of our conversation, you, like you as a human being, are referred to as the self. As the self, you're made up of a bunch of components. The most important being the ego, the persona, and the shadow. The ego is us. It's who we are at our core. It's who we are when no one else is around, when we're by ourselves, and it's made up of all the things that we believe and just our internalized identities. The persona is the personality that we reflect on out into the rest of the world. This is the thing we want the rest of you to see. We're showing you the traits that we want you to know we have because it has societal benefit, because it helps us fit in. It helps us get along. It's been described as a mask that you put on to gain social acceptance and to kind of conceal the content of your ego. Now, if you think about that, and the graphic that is now on the screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening, just picture someone staring at the sun. What lies behind all of that gets reflected and cast much like a shadow does, and it is referred to as the shadow. The shadow is the collection of all of our negative traits. It's all of the antisocial and just terrible behaviors and thoughts and feelings that we either consciously or subconsciously repress in our pursuit of this persona that we can show everybody who we are. 
It's all the darker parts of our personality. It's your selfishness, greed, malice, aggression, hate, uh, disgusting tendencies, things that we believe society would not accept as a part of who we want them to see us as. We repress them in an effort to belong to the rest of this collective that's going on out here in the rest of the world. Can, but the problem with the shadow is because it's behind us, we can't watch that thing. It just projects onto other things and often without our knowledge. And if left unchecked, it can create a lot of mental disharmonies that manifest themselves in our persona and just the way we treat people, the way we act. And they make our interactions with the outside world a lot more difficult for reasons sometimes, especially if it's subconscious, you don't even understand why. Now, I can tell what you're thinking. First of all, Drew, you need to stop drinking if you're going to talk about psychology. I'll tell you this. Every psychology professor I ever met, I fucking hated. There was a guy, he was a literally worked at Morrisville State College. He was a West Virginia goat farmer before he took the Morrisville job. And then he had the balls to come, like, talk down to me as an 18-year-old who was trying to learn about psychology. So I just would have fights with him. <laughs> just... Chris, can you imagine what it must be like arguing with a fat dude with an afro about psychology when that guy is probably hungover? I can't imagine what that's like. <laughs> you would want to quit your job, wouldn't you? Yeah. When you hear it like that, it sounds like some real American psycho, like Norman Bates nonsense. And in a way, you're kind of right. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, Norman Bates from American Psycho. Those are some really solid examples of this concept of when you suppress your dark traits for the sake of acceptance and success. I mean, they're heavy handed, but this is the chaos and discord that can kind of follow all of that behavior when you keep those things separate. It makes you incomplete and you keep trying to scratch that itch, but you don't know what it is. It's behind you. And yet here you are trying to fit in and these things keep leeching through and ruining the thing that you're trying to show. It, it, it ruins your personality. It makes you incomplete. Carl Jung also believed that true enlightenment, if you were really going to open up and fix yourself, it wasn't just about having the best persona. It was about being able to look back at the dysfunction that your shadow was causing and kind of bind it and meld it with your ego and find acceptance of some of the terrible things that you are. And in that way, you can be a better person. You can project a better persona with less disruption when you take these things that are manifesting behind you and you pull them in and you say, okay, I'm going to make them a part of myself and I'm at least going to find acceptance of them if I can't change them. Now, I can tell you firsthand, it sounds crazy, but they said, like, that line of thinking has changed my life. Now, I'm not going to waste your time here on a podcast with it because it's, it's a kind of an emotional topic, but there have been things in my own life that I've found where I'm like, why isn't, why am I so angry all the time? Why is my, why are all my interactions colored in this way? And why, why is this happening to me? And it wasn't until I kind of took a look at all this shit that I'd been repressing and telling everybody was fine for decades of my life that I was able to come to terms with it and actually get my hands around it. And in that way, I look at where I am now and I go, I wouldn't be 
where I am. I wouldn't have the things I have. I wouldn't have a family. I wouldn't, I'd probably be in jail if I hadn't corrected these things about, or at least not even corrected. You recognize these things about yourself. And then what you do is you say, okay, here's what I'm willing to accept as part of who I am. And in that way, it's almost like letting the pressure off. And all of a sudden, you become a more well-rounded human being. And it it just changes the way you you interact with the rest of the world. Okay? And obviously, there's some risk in that. Some traits, <laughs> they can't be controlled, and you combine them too well with your personality, then they run wild. They run wild. And some of those are probably best left suppressed where at least they're not going to cause anybody any real world harm. Tool had a song about this dynamic called 46 and two. And that takes me back to Sunday. So I'm doing the, I'm on my fifth tequila mule, which thanks Nick, you fucking started this nonsense. Now I'm hooked and I can't stop. And this song comes on and I'm just, like I said, I'm doing dishes I'm cleaning the kitchen. I'm thinking about the day and how the game went. And I realized that the Bills are kind of like they're the self and the ego trying to figure out what's happening. here. They're having their own crisis with this. Chris, for the first time in what feels like years through the first five weeks of the season, the Bills have felt balanced in the way they're trying to approach an offensive attack. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they're using all their playmakers. Right? Isn't that the thing everyone's been crying about? Yeah. You know, when Dable was here, it was that we couldn't protect we couldn't protect Josh Allen. When Ken Dorsey showed up last year, it was well, he's not using the running backs, and the tight ends are getting neglected, and he's ham fisting passes to the the wide receivers downfield. Well, now they're not doing that. They're running the football. And they're running it very effectively behind an improved offensive line. They're running the football. I mean, we've seen the graphs on social media. They're running the football in situations where previously they didn't. They have an emphasis on keeping Josh Allen in the pocket as a facilitator rather than as just some wild card who's out there trying to win every single play. Josh Allen has a third lowest rush total on the team after leading the team in rushing last year. He has just 11 first downs, which puts him on pace for 33 first downs, which is 22 fewer than he would have la- than he had last year. And he's been relying on his teammates rather than his teammates' skill sets, rather than his arm talent alone to try to make plays. You got six players with double-digit targets through five weeks, which is a first for the Bills. It's going all the way back to, I mean, you're talking like Bledsoe era. Two different players with more than 300 yards and over 200 yards for the running back group. The tight ends are being targeted more. Even if the efficiency isn't there right now, the tight ends are being incorporated into every single game. Both of them. Isn't that who we've been asking them to be? Yeah. They're trying to be the thing that they thought was socially acceptable, that was popular, that the world wanted them to be, that maybe deep down they want to be. They want to be this team that can do it all. They look at the Chiefs and go, we want that. We want to be the team that every week you don't know who's going to be the threat or who's going to be the player who's constantly, you know, because we're dinking and dunking and we're going to, it almost feels like they tried to 
I don't want to say rip off, but they're trying to be Andy Reid, doesn't it? Yeah, I could see that. Okay. We've been clamoring for Dorsey to prove that he could do this, that he could incorporate the running backs and all these different pieces of the offense that exist in the passing game. Also, produce smart runs and timely runs. He's been trying to do that. All of it was so that Allen didn't have to do all the heavy lifting. That's it. That's been the the whole thing was Allen gets asked to do too much. So we need to water this down and let everybody do the lifting together as a team. On the days it works, it's a thing of beauty. The Commanders game. The Raiders game. And, I mean, ultimately, that's why I'm not panicking over this loss. We're going to play a lot of average football teams where that, like what that, the persona that this team is putting out there is good enough to win. But when you play talented teams, especially ones that are talented defensively, teams that are also coached well enough that they're not going to make mistakes on defense. They're fundamentally sound. They don't have to be all-stars. They just have to, like, they don't beat themselves on defense. You see problems start to rise. During the first half, Chris, where Buffalo was nearly blanked on the scoreboard, like, we almost went into halftime with no points. Even though we threw the ball 11 times, Allen didn't throw his first pass of more than seven air yards until there was four minutes and 59 seconds left in the second quarter. When he did, it was a 19-yard gain to Hardy, followed by a seven-yard run by Josh Allen for a first down, and the drive ended with seven points. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Makes sense. I saw something on, uh, I forget who tweeted it out, but there was something about our uh, lack of play action. Yeah. No, they went away from a lot of it. Like, like you think about so much of what happened. Like, in running these short plays to open the game, it was just a lot of dump-offs, throws to the flats. It was, hey, we're going to get Kincaid the ball. We're going to try to get Knox the ball. We're going to... Did you see any play action or any motion, pre-snap motion? If the thing was, hey, we're not going to do play action, okay, did you incorporate any pre-snap motion or any subterfuge into what you were trying to do? Or did you just line up and throw the ball to Dalton Kincaid in the flat, thinking that a fundamentally sound defense wouldn't stop him for a three-yard game? Yeah, I think we only did play action five times. 
I think that's what it was. And it was all for double-digit gains. Yeah. You watched that drive to score before halftime, and you go, okay, we're going to be fine. They've figured it out. They come out of the tunnel, and we go right back to what we were doing. No subterfuge. Guys, the whole... The whole, the collective is going to be the thing that saves us because that's the thing everyone's been saying we have to do. And we want that. We want to be what the chiefs are. We want this thing of we have all of the weapons and we're going to let all of them flex their muscles. And everybody individually is going to do their part to lift this team to offensive success. And we struggled like hell to move the football. And then desperation kicked in. Back-to-back 75-yard touchdown drives in the span of five minutes. Do you want to know why, Chris? Two passes, right? Mm -hmm. 72 yards on two throws to Hardy and to Davis down the football field because Josh Allen turned into Josh Allen. He started playing hero ball, and the result was fucking fireworks. The other, t- the, the second touchdown drive passes of nineteen and twenty four to Davis. Fuck it, I'm slinging it in there. I don't care if the coverage is tight. I bet you Davis will get it. We score another touchdown, and all of a sudden we're kicking an onside kick, thinking to ourselves, "Hey, if the official doesn't fuck this up and call that guy for batting the ball out of bounds intentionally, we get the ball back and maybe we win this fucking football game." But I'm not going to blame the refs because it's our fault. It's our fault. You see, the Bills have done so much to divorce themselves from this idea that they don't want to be the team that we saw in their worst moments last year with a freelancing quarterback who's trying to do lift the world like Atlas, just lift everything on his own shoulders. We've done so much to divorce ourselves from the idea that we're that football team. The one that couldn't play complementary football, the one that couldn't support your super talented quarterback, or the team that, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, you just, the team that kind of put too much on their quarterback. They reined him in, and we applauded them. Chris, we did it on this podcast. We sat here and said, hey, Dorsey McDermott, all right. You got him using the tight ends, using the running backs. He threw no passes over 20 yards. Awesome. Wonderful. Right? Because against mediocre teams, that's good enough. And it doesn't cause mistakes. And there's no turnovers. And there's no problems. Unfortunately, what you did was you neutered yourself. Right? Trying to create this persona... At your heart, you know what you are. <laughs> and and behind you is this percolating fucking thing that might just rear up and kill you. You're trying to be this complimentary football team like the Kansas City Chiefs. And you've muted our quarterback and taken away the things that make him special. That make this team special. Right? You repress the most dynamic traits of the one human being that makes your team uniquely competitive. All because you want the collective we to be involved. But at the end of the day, we all know when crunch time, when it, when it comes down, Chris, who's going to be the guy who says, fuck it, I'm going to go win this football game? 
Josh Allen. Did he or did he not almost pull that off this week? Correct. So the question becomes, kind of like Tool's masterpiece of a song and Young's postulation imply, if the Bills want to achieve real enlightenment, you want to be the best version of yourself, right? It's not going to, like, I applaud you for showing us, Ken Dorsey, that you can be this guy who goes out there and gets the tight ends in, gets your rookie involved, gets your second-year running back involved, and he's looking like a great player. You're involving every single member of the running back stable. All of our playmakers are touching the football, are being targeted. Trent Sherfield's getting targets. You're trying to spread the love. And you're trying to make this all work because complementary football is what you want to be. If you want to achieve true enlightenment, though, and you actually want to be dangerous on the level that the Kansas City Chiefs are, the kid, I dare to dream, the San Francisco 49ers, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, the best teams who are well-coached and disciplined and also have all-stars and can also start, score points, it's going to require both Allen and Dorsey to take on some harsh introspection, accept the cowboy nature, or at least try to. <laughs> try to accept the fact that Josh Allen is a madman with his hair on fire. And like when he's at his finest and his most aggressive and his most productive, you, ha- you can't hide that. It's like me trying to hide my natural aggression. I did it for years. The moment I embraced it, my life became easier. I actually, for all of the sound of it, I became less combative with the world around me when I made peace with the fact that I have these tendencies. Because it helps shape the version of you that you show people. And what you find is that you get into those problems. You have those problems less and less the more you show people that you have that. This wasn't something I needed to hide. Although, I guess we could debate that. But (laughs) I look at this football team and I say to myself, if you guys want to be enlightened, you want to save this. Because this team does it, Chris. This team will win a lot of football games. Yeah, we will. Look at our schedule. Easy peasy. We shouldn't say easy peasy, but for the next month, we're playing a lot of mediocre football teams. Yeah. Being the just having a facilitating quarterback who just kind of stand back, stands back there, doesn't use his aggression, doesn't use his legs, doesn't run. I mean, I, I think the guys from the uh, Air Raid Hour over at Cover One, they went out of their way. Or no, it was Hansel from uh, Cover One broke down how how much less effective we are this year with running the football. And how many first downs and how many scores we're leaving on the field by not getting Josh Allen involved in that rushing attack? He's got points. He has points, right? Yeah. You need to embrace this. Now you, as a coordinator, have to be strong enough to say, this is who I want to be, and I need to be able to look at all of the terrible things that are brewing back here. Josh Allen's awful proclivities. All of the things that we're telling him not to be. And we need to try to bind a little bit of that to what we're doing now. Because when the moment calls for it, I need to know that I can turn that on in him and that he now feels empowered to be the facilitator who can also just go nuclear on a team and do the thing that we saw in that five-minute, two-touchdown window against the Jaguars. 
You have to embrace that about yourself and about your football team, about your makeup, or else you will fail. It'll create enough discord that you will fail. I think that this is going to be really interesting to watch play out over the next month and a half of football as to whether or not they can take some young in psychology <laughs> to heart and just dig in here and embrace some of the things that they've branded as terrible about who they are and bust it out when they need it. Have that as part of their persona. Now, for those of you who haven't shut this podcast off already, I appreciate you for sticking around with me. The hero in Zero this week, there's too many zeros in him, but there is one hero. And that's uh, Portuguese resident Hugo, Carmo- Hugo Carmona. Don't take it personally, all right? Franchise star players are a lot like Highlanders. There can only be one. So as I hear my phone vibrating over here, I go to check in. I look at my texts, and um, <clears throat> I just got a confirmation from my wife that the package was delivered at my house. Chris, do you know what Hugo did over there in London? No. This game? Think about why he's a fan of this team. It's our fault, right? Matt Waldman. Matt Waldman. It's Matt Waldman's fault, honestly. But we were funny enough that we kept his attention, and now here we are. He's a friend of ours. Not just a listener to the podcast, but a legitimate friend of ours. He's spent time here. He's been in our homes. He's been around the team for a while now. He's come to games with us. His first Bills game was with me, and it was he got to watch that Bengals game where Andy Dalton's marching them down the field, and it looks like they're going to get in field goal range and kick the game-winning field goal, and Trey White picks him off in the middle of the field off on like a high tip. And that's how the game ends, and he was ecstatic. And I was like, this is what it is. When, they're, when the moments are electric, they're electric. It's <laughs> We don't do anything easily. That was the, uh, what, 2019? That was pre-COVID? Mm-hmm. So Hugo now is over there with uh, a bunch of our other friends in England, and he has a, a Bills flag. And he spent the week getting fans to sign the flag. He's like, I want to kind of illustrate, not just, you know, he's like, I want to illustrate the fact that this fandom he's like where are people from oh you're not from here either sign the flag well you're a bills i see you wearing a Bills shirt where are you from how did you become a bills fan sign the flag he's under this literal banner trying to illustrate just like look at all the backgrounds these people come from and look at how many of us there are scattered all over the world he then shipped me the flag And it will be with me all season long. I'll be holding it at our tailgates. I encourage everybody who comes into town for a game, even if you don't want to tailgate with me and Iman and, you know, you don't want to taste the uh, everything Q42 has to offer (coughs) because we're going to be chefing up all season long. At least stop by and sign the flag. As an homage to a guy who never, like he loved American football, but he had no reason to like our team. And now it's it's ingrained in him. It's a part of who he is. I I love this, Chris. I love the fact that he's put this together. I'm I'm just I'm happy and I'm I feel lucky to be a part of it. 
You know who isn't lucky, Chris? All of the people who have it worse than Bills fans. And boy, do we have a list for you tonight. The worst! I'm going to start with Iman. Iman Azizi and Mark Smith, Rockpile Report lawyer and my uh, fellow barbecue compatriot. Chris, how are you so unlucky that you both root for baseball teams that don't make the playoffs ever? And then when they do, they both just get swept, like unceremoniously swept. I thought Mark's a Yankees fan. They didn't even make the playoffs. I love the fact that you said that. You do know he's a Blue Jays fan, right? I thought it was Yankees. (laughs) Why would you name your kid Gehrig if you're not a Yankees fan? That's his wife. All right. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he let that one slide. And this is why you are not married anymore. <laughs> so somehow these guys think about it. The Orioles. When's the last time, Chris? The, you're a, more of a baseball guy than me. When was the last time the Orioles were good? When they had Brady Anderson. Who the fuck is Brady Anderson? Steroids, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just juicing yeah awesome do you know how many times he hit 50 home runs no in a, in a season no any guess how was many? he giving Mark McGuire a run for his money he played from 88 to 2002 okay how many times did he four hit four times wrong in 1996 he hit 50 home runs <laughs> and then his next Total below that for his career in a season, mm-hmm. 1999, he hit 24. So 96, he was fucking juiced. <laughs> and he never did it again. Yeah, 96, 50 home runs, 110 ribs. And then as far as RBIs, 99. Was that during the era where uh, yeah. Kel, they, they, they think Kevin Costner slept with Kel Ripken's wife? Probably. That's had, the infamous uh, light scandal where Kel Ripken, the only thing the Orioles had going for him was the fact that he had like a consecutive game streak going, and that was the only draw the franchise had. And then Kel Ripken apparently leaves for practice, comes back home, finds his wife banging Kevin Costner and fistfights him, and then hurts his hand so he can't play. And they pretended there was a malfunction with the lights. Like, that's it. You can Google it. I'm not making this up. This is a real conspiracy theory that exists. Yeah, Brady Anderson hit uh, 50, 50 home runs, 110 ribs, and then his next best season was 99, where he hit 24 home runs and 81 RBI. So can you imagine how depressing it must be? Like, I play for a team that's never relevant, or I root for a team that's never relevant. And then both of, like, I have a very close friend who also roots for a team that's never relevant. They both make the playoffs. Let's go to the bar together. Let's party together. Let's have a boozing day together at the house. And both of their teams just unceremoniously shit themselves in front of everybody. <laughs> like, I think I, I looked at it last night because Mark in our group chat was like, hey, Yuleberg, you need to you need to rush a public sub down to uh, Orlando stat. So I open up ESPN the Rangers are winning like 6 nothing in the fourth. It's like, Jesus Christ. This Orioles team, like, it was like a fart in a hurricane. They just never existed. It must be torment. Like, 
Chris, we already have one team that torments us. Why would you root for another one? I don't know. <laughs> you know who's rooting for a team that's tormenting them right now is Patriots fans. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I made my boys watch the Patriots-Cowboys game with me. Not because I care about either team, but because here's what I want. Like, Chris, you, how old are you? 39? Yeah. Okay. What we remember is Tom Brady dominating the NFL for most of our formative years, right? Yep. Okay. I mean, at least absolutely since we were able to drink, Tom Brady dominated the NFL for 15 years after we could buy a beer. Mm-hmm. Okay. That window sucked and came directly at our expense every single year. It was two games a year where you knew something embarrassing was going to happen to your team. The Patriots have fans all over the world because of that run. I can't tell you how many times Canadians would show up at our stadium with Patriots jerseys on, and the only player they even knew on the team was Brady. Like, I get it. They're winners. They're the biggest winners ever, and everybody just wants to line up and kiss the rings. With the direction of the Patriots today... It's time for me to start showing them to my kids. Because I want them to know this Patriots team. I want them to see this disgusting display of half-assery on a football field. Because whereas you and I will always be sort of jaded personally by the run that that team had, all the Super Bowls, all the success, all the times they kicked our ass, my boys are going to regard it the same way they'll regard Brother Grimm fairy tales. Works of fiction that couldn't possibly have ever happened in real life. I can't wait to talk to Christian Simonelli on this week's AFC's Roundup podcast about just boots on the ground feel for how life in Boston is these days. But Chris, it has to suck to be a fan of that franchise right now, right? Yeah. They're a week removed from Bilichek's worst loss ever, and then you get shut out by a worse margin? Jesus Christ. You watch Jacoby Myers, just, you know, Bill Belichick didn't think he was good enough. You watch him go on, and he's scoring touchdowns for the Raiders. Uh, you're just looking at all this stuff like, this week I listened to not just WEI. I also listened to Tom Curran's uh, Patriots Talk podcast on NBC Sports. Half the conversation was not just... Should Bill be fired? <laughs> but when is the right time to fire Bill? And discussing how an in-season firing wouldn't work because his kids are there, holding prominent roles, uh, he's got a lot of confidants within the organization that would probably be like no one would keep them, so no one would stay. Apparently those in the professional know in New England think Bill's gone. Like he's gone over the falls in a barrel at the end of the season. With a roster that's in need of a total teardown, all the shit going on, a, an owner who's getting old and doesn't have any more patience. Chris, we've waited a long fucking time to watch this happen, right? To just flush this turd once and for all. Yeah. It feels like we're right here on the doorstep. Can you imagine the scene when we get Bill here in Buffalo in week 17? It'll be fun. I'll be there. We throttle him by 20. I get put in a headlock by Andy Anderson. Yes. <laughs> Maybe a guillotine choke? Yes. <laughs> Standing guillotine? Yes. 
<laughs> and then the next day after we embarrassed them again, they announced Belichick's been relieved of his duties. I mean, Montucky is a great beer, but that is delicious. I, do you remember the Sports Illustrated videos they used to sell, the VHS tapes? No. Where it was like the whole season, like all the Bills Super Bowl years. My dad used to oh, have Oh, video them. yearbook. Yeah, the video yearbooks. Those are completely different. Yes, I have all of those. I have 90, 91, 92. I wish the NFL made a video yearbook for non-Super Bowl winning teams because I would absolutely buy this year's Patriots video yearbook and just watch it whenever I'm feeling really like... Whenever our team loses a game and I'm feeling down about it, I would go back and watch this season for the Patriots. And it would make me feel a lot better. It really would. And now they're going to go play Josh McDaniels. And if they were to lose against him, Chris, you have to fire that guy into the sun, right? Yeah. It's a real chef's kiss of a fucking thing. And then before we go, I got one last one. Because TB12 Fitness can also kick rocks. Do you know Tom Brady, once a patriot, always a patriot. If I'm talking shit about him, I'm going to include him too. He's going to catch some shit. All that nonsense about the TB12 Fitness program, like uh, avocado liquor and new age horse shit, the crystals, uh, a lot of roots flying around. Oh, you just eat this root. Eat this. do these Pilates. Chris, do you know that he's closed almost like most of his TB12 facilities? Good. The website is still open, but all of their like stores and facilities and training camps and all these things are just gone. Like, I, like, I don't know. It's hilarious. It turns out it makes for a good like it makes for a good story in the season. Like the TB12, it's keeping them youthful. Also, no one wants to fucking pay for it. So, like, I don't know. Did your mom like think about the '90s? All the shit that went on, all the fitness, like God, uh, aerobics, aerobics. Suzanne Summers, do you remember the Thigh Master? Yes. Okay, that's what this is going to go down in history as. Tom Brady created the Thigh Master, and it came in and went out on the same fucking boat. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than watching everything in Boston go wrong. And I could stand here and talk about this all night, but we got to get the hell out of here. Chris, final thoughts. Are we over this game? Yeah. Is the team going to be fine going forward? We will be. I'm not worried about it. You, I'll if see I, you Sunday. What do we say? One, two, three. Goose Frappa. If we're not freaking out, then you shouldn't be freaking out. And it's with that I say, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rockpile Report. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. 
mypatriotsupply.com.